It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And it is Carcon Carne. Welcome back to the Working Week. I'm James Van Alsel, and Carcon Carne is sponsored this week by Happy to Meet You. It is Chicago's online butcher shop serving the exact same prime steaks and chops that you get at local steakhouses. Their meat delivery, I swear to God, it's been a godsend during lockdown. The meat I, I've been getting at grocery stores, not so much. I also kind of hate going to grocery stores these days. This gets delivered to my home, and they've got amazing stuff. They're hot Italian sausage. So good. Uh, tonight, <laughs> from Happy to Meet You, I have their, I got to show it. Hang on. Their French pork chop. I don't know if you can see this. It's dripping. It's juicy. I'm going to slice this as we talk tonight. It's, oh God, you can actually see it drip. You can see the steam coming off it. Put it on the grill, then seared it in a cast iron skillet. Dying to dig into that. You can get stuff like that delivered to your home. Free delivery if you live in the Chicago area, Chicago or Burbs. Hang on, Chicago or Burbs. Use my promo code. It's Carne, as in Carcon Carne, C A R N E. Trust me on this. Get their uh, their mother Chucker burger. That's delicious. It's prime chuck and outside skirts. Uh, just got to see everything they have there. The hot Italian sausage, so good. I'll try the French chop in a little bit. Happy to meet you.com. It's happy to M E A T. Get it? Happy to meet you, letter U.com. All right, let's go on to our guest. I have been so excited for tonight. I can't even tell you triple fast action. It's a loss. This band is a lost Chicago treasure. One of the many bands that came up through the vaunted 90s Chicago music scene. The second album from triple fast Cattlemen don't is getting the special reissue treatments. Final release coming out in January and tonight to talk about the album, to talk about triple fast action history. I have Brian St. Clair drummer for the band. Also band manager, Dave Fry, uh, gentlemen, let's start right. Well, let, let's put this in context to understand the reissue, to understand Kettleman Don't. Let's take a step back. The beginning of Triple Fast Action. Brian, I'll throw it to you. What was it? What was it like? How did the band start? What was the scene like then? Well, Wes and I were in Rights of the Accused. Wes Kidd, uh, singer for Triple Fast Action. Yep. And um, Dave Fry over here, I guess, whichever way he is. Um, Dave was our manager in Rights of the Accused. And uh, immediately, as soon as me and Wes decided we were going to start something new after Rights broke up, uh, Dave was right there with us all along the way. Okay. And it, so this was when Rights, Rights of the Accused broke up, that was early 90s? Uh, it was probably 92. End of 92, I believe, is when we officially broke up. So let's go deeper on that. Describe what the Chicago scene was like at that time. Um, well, there was a lot of uh, old punkers like ourselves that had grown up and um, started rock bands. You had like Kill City, and um, which actually you're wearing a Life Sentence t-shirt, so Joe. Um, but, uh, you know, the, uh, the Rose Hips were really hot at the time. Um, kind of a um, New York Dollsy kind of uh, Johnny Thunders feel, a little darker though. 
Um, and, and, you know, we, we kind of had not met people like Scott Lucas or Blake Smith or all those guys yet. And for context, Scott Lucas of local age, Blake, Blake Smith of fig dish later caviar and Prairie cartel, et cetera. Yeah. So we hadn't met all those guys yet, but they were all starting to become active at that time as well. Um, around the Chicago area. Um, we, we, uh, started out just rehearsing nonstop me, Wes and Kevin and Ronnie. Uh, we met Kevin and Ronnie. They were in a band called wood who I actually never saw, but they were in a band called wood and we stole them from that band. Um, and it was more of a, a situation where we had to get it right before we started out live. So I think we were probably, and Dave could correct me, I think we were probably rehearsing and working on material at least six to eight months before we played live. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't remember it that well. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there were some great Chicago bands and rights opened for all of them. I, I'd first booked Wes, I first booked Brian's Political Justice at West End and Anthony's mom gave them all a ride in the station wagon. We do punk rock Sundays at West End with, you know, we'd have Minutemen or Jody Foster's Army or, you know, bands like that coming through. But also all the great Chicago bands, you know, Naked Reagan, Articles of Faith, Effigies, and Wrights played and opened. They were right there in that scene with all of them. And uh, and Wrights came, you know, po Political Justice kind of, I don't even know how that evolved. But yeah, anyway, but Brian and Wes had been together for a while, you know. And, um, but I know that, uh, it went way back to like 84, maybe I think. Um, and, and Chicago used to be so much more vibrant with clubs and stuff because sure. once upon a time, the drinking age was 18 and you <laughs> didn't have your picture on your ID. So like when I was a kid, when I was 15, I had a fake ID. I was taking the L down to mothers to see cheap trick in 1975 and stuff. And, you know, trying to figure out how to, get back to school <laughs> the next day to go to, you know, you know, sophomore high school and stuff. But um, it just, you know, and that took a while for that to kind of burn out and die out because the, the, all these clubs, you know, there were, I mean, back in the day you could, you could, you know, all these bands could quit their day jobs and just play their tri-state area and play 300 shows a year. And after maybe three years, you'd be pretty good. You know, you'd be like Aerosmith in Boston or Cheap Trick in Rockford or, I mean, Cheap Trick were always great from day one. They were always amazing. But, um, you know, it, bands could really, you know, they had a wall to throw themselves against that slowly started to go away. But um, I'd, I'd loved Rights to the Accused. It, there was just a vibe and fun to it that was just awesome. And we tried really hard. We had a really shitty record deal with a company in Germany that couldn't really get them to do much, but that band toured a lot and had a lot of fun. And, and Brian, Wes, Mike, Herb worked their fucking asses off and just had this awesome work ethic showed up to play. And if I could get people in front of them, they'd win them over. So we got good tours, fishbone, red hot chili peppers, a lot of stuff like that. So when Wes called and said, because they'd kind of hung it up and, and there was a really great demo at the end of it with cool cool on it nine songs that no one's ever heard that should also come up but ryan by the way I yeah know. eventually but uh <laughs> yeah you've got the dad next next reissue yeah 
But anyway, so when Wes called and said, hey, I'm starting a new thing called Triple Fast Action, I was like, well, let me know when the next gig is and I'll fly out and see it. And I did. And I was like, this is great. And so from day one, I thought, you know, just the songs and it was a different type of scene coming up and everything. It was more bands like Material Issue and, you know, Hush Trops and, well, Brian, you'd probably know the local bands there better of the day, Veruca Salt, um, just really good bands, um, Menthol, um, that were coming out of Chicago and Triple Fast was right there, neck and neck with all of them. And that's kind of what I was getting at, because it was an interesting time for the Chicago music scene. Coming out of the punk rock, some of the bands you mentioned, suddenly early 1990s billboard magazine publishes an article after seattle explodes and billboard says chicago is the cutting edges new capital all of a sudden all eyes in the music industry were on chicago and the music scene and suddenly you had a and r artists and repertoire people from labels coming out to chicago seeing bands there was this this microscope of attention placed on the chicago music scene and that's the environment that triple fast came up in was this everyone could be a superstar the next day. It, bands were plucked out of obscurity and given record contracts overnight. It was a bonkers scene. I mean, that happened a little bit after Triple Fast first started, but that's what you came up during. I mean, you got signed to yeah. Capitol Records during that. Yes, we did. Um, Gary Gersh actually came out to uh, the first show he came out to. He helped us load out of Elbow Room and that kind of, <laughs> was one of our things where, okay, Gary's going to work for us that hard, then, you know, let's give him a shot. And as a drummer, you appreciate anyone who helps with the loadout. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So you got signed, you, you signed the deal. Were you courted by a bunch of labels? I mean, given that time when everyone was looking at Chicago and bands were being basically bid on, were there a bunch of labels courting Triple Fast? Yeah, it was basically our pick. Um, I mean, we had just about everybody after us at that time. We were flying from New York to L.A. Um, people were flying in and taking taking us out to dinner and buying groceries for us. Wes, Wes was in line at a grocery store and this guy runs up and he's like, oh, I'll pay for that. I'll pay for that. And I think he was from Hollywood Records. Oh, my God. Um, Your money's no good here, Mr. Kid. Exactly. We we would go to um, Tower Records and people would just throw a credit card down and just whatever you want. Just go get it. Such it, a different it was, era. It was, it was it, ridiculous. Younger bands right now coming up can't even conceive of how that worked or felt. No, that doesn't happen anymore. But no. What happened is also is that Triple Fast Action made this really great demo tape. I mean, really, really good. And it had Sally Tree on it, revved up, uh, and a couple other songs. And the demo was awesome. And, and I got it around to people quickly. And there was the first thing that happened was that there was a guy named Kevin Weatherly at K-Rock in Los Angeles. And Kevin Weatherly started playing Sally Tree. And then he started playing Revved Up, which had Veruca Salt on it, right? And Veruca Salt was like, like number eight or number nine on K-Rock at the time. And here they are on Revved Up, and he's playing the demo, okay? And and people, radio was king at the time. You know, James. Yeah. Radio really had a huge impact on things. And it was a new format, you know, with Alternative, with, you know, Pearl Jam and the Chili Peppers and Nirvana and that were leading the charge with that format of radio. And, and Kevin Weatherly was like the station. So if he played it, that meant that like 
250 other stations in the United States were going to look at his playlist and say, we're going to play that. That is legit. He was the program director in Los Angeles and radio stations would wait every week to see what Kevin Weatherly added to the K-Rock playlist. And it, it got to a point where so many of these stations, like you said, had no minds of their own. The, they their ads and drops every week were contingent upon what K-Rock did. And right. I get it. Kevin had a great ear and they did wonderful stuff at K-Rock. But it, this idea of forfeiting local flavor for what's happening out of Los Angeles, like not having a keen sense of what's happening in your own market and taking your cue from Los Angeles never made sense to me. Yep. But that's, my soapbox. that's what was happening at the time. And because that was happening um, and suddenly they're on K-Rock, you know, Jimmy Iovine's calling from Interscope. Jason Flom's calling from Atlantic. Uh, Jason flew us out to Atlantic to have lunch with Ahmed Erdogan, you know, <laughs> offered us the private plane to come back and stuff, you know. Uh, at Hollywood, Michael Eisner, you know, you know, called to say, I really want this band. What do I have to do to get them? They offered, they offered Triple Fast Action a record company. Here's your own record company. And then John D flew to Chicago and he was told he wasn't allowed to fly home until he signed the band. So he lived at like the four seasons for almost a month. And uh, so there was this crazy stuff. Wait, going wait, on. He lived at, he lived at a landscaping company. Uh, yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah. So there was just crazy things like that going on. And it really was overwhelming because, we're like, oh, my God, you know, because usually you have one choice or two choices. You say, oh, we have a chance. Take it. Go, go, go. And that didn't happen. We listen. Well, let's try this. We'll listen to these guys, that the other thing. Uh, but at the end of the day, the band went with Capital. But the whole time in reality, the band, the band, as far as being a draw or touring was worth, you know, the joke was that Triple Fast Action was worth 25 A&R people in New York and L.A. Mm-hmm. And that was about it. Right. We got real touring. We worked. They again. They worked hard. You know, the Supergrass tour was fucking awesome. I thought, and Lenny Kravitz, and you know, I went out and got some dates and stuff. But uh, it was, you know, th- there was this delay. And um, Brian, you want to get into the making of the record of uh, Broadcaster? Well, um, sure. We 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 uh, decided to go with Don Fleming, who was really well known with uh, the solid capital. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and uh, he was well known for producing bands like Sonic youth and teenage fan club. And those, those type of bands. Um, he was in a band called gumball. Yep. Actually. I don't know. They were, they were a Sony band too, weren't they? Maybe I don't I'm, know if they were Sony or not. Maybe I'm remembering that wrong. Anyway, I think so. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we, we went in and we recorded with Don at uh, Sear Sound. It was the old hit factory um, in New York City. And, um, and then we went into the mix down and it's just, it just wasn't feeling right. You know, I mean, different, different bands, different tastes. And so we took the project over to John and Yellow, who uh, ended up mixing the album. Um, the album was supposed to come out, what, Dave? October of 95, something like that. Well, the other, no, then Gary Gersh said, ah, it's not quite right. Um, I'm going to have Brad Wood redo four songs. And so it just kept, the, it took like almost two years to make it. 
And yeah, so yes, but yes, you're right. Yeah. And then and then uh, the Beatles were coming out with a record. So they ended up pushing our record back to I think it was like April of 2000 uh, uh 1996 actually. And um which that's one of those weird record company things like we can't have those two priorities happening at the same time. We can't yeah. possibly make those two records happen. It took the air out of our tires. You I know, bet it we, did. we we were ready to go. We we wanted to be a live act. We just all we wanted to do was tour. Uh, we had a van, we had a, a trailer, and we were ready to go. And then we were told sit at home for six months. So and an, um, and another big thing that happened is is that you know Kevin Weatherly's playing revved up and Sally Tree on K Rock in 1994, the demo which he loves. Amazing. Two years later, we come back and say, here's the record. You know, Phil Costello has had a radio at Capitol. Here's the record, you know, and he's like, yeah, I like the demo better. <laughs> and that was two years ago. And it's off our radar now. You know, you should have somehow figured out how to get me this a lot quicker than two years. And he got, went cold on it. And right out of the gate, it was like, whoa, you know, it's like we just got hit with the fire hose as the door you know that was a big part of it yeah and the format was so weird loyalty to artists was few and far between unless you were at the superstar red hot chili pepper level it was a song by song thing the format didn't grow with its artists during the 90s no which you know in a case of triple fast action just hot out of the gate with a demo you would think hey major label support Capital can throw money at this band, get them to Los Angeles. It's, it should have worked. Yeah, we had a few A&R people in retrospect that said, just put out the demos the way they are, and we'll get about making another record later. And we probably should have taken that advice, and we didn't. But that was, you know, that was a big group decision, and you know, nobody, nobody's got a crystal ball. Right. And it was such an interesting time. I mean, there was that sense that air that anything can happen i mean it was easy to have the air taken out of your tires or have that feeling but it was also easy one day later to have optimism and feel enthusiastic about different possibilities you, you, to your point there's no crystal ball there is no way of anticipating how things could have played out yeah and a lot of the people so then you know so then we basically you know said listen it's not working out and capital said you're right it's not working out we'll let you go so they, they gave us our paper so we could walk. And um, we went back out in the world and everybody was like pissed that we hadn't gone with them. You know, it's so like, we're not signing you. You're damaged goods, you know. So um, oh, that's interesting. So you went back to all these labels who courted you and basically like you yeah. had your chance with me. I'm with a hotter person now. Right. Exactly. And so and that also one, Gary Gersh, who had brought us in left as the president of capital that was another big thing so he was you know, a key man they put out our record and then he was gone and for the record i mean for the record this record sounds great yeah i i, I mean, i've heard i've heard so many cds through the years uh i still hold on to this one i still like it very much i see you have the uh vinyl back there too i do the vinyl version of broadcaster the yeah. uh, 10 inch the nice well, three disc 10 inch set that thing's cool. Yeah. It's super cool. Although it, lots of uh, side flipping to get through it all. It's <laughs> like th two or three songs per side. <laughs> so, Brian, you want to get into Wes? Because 
the whole t- West just was a song machine. He just didn't stop. He just yeah. kept. Uh, before you do, I, I'm going to hold up my uh, pork. Just, you know, happy to meet Ooh, you. Yeah. Promo code Carney. All right, go ahead. Um, so, so through it all, Wes kept writing and he, now he's writing about basically our experience with capital. Um, and, uh, you can, you can hear that in the lyrics of like pure, you know? Um, so we, we get this load of songs and, and we're like, okay, so Dave, how, how do we do this? And Dave, just opened his wallet and said, I'm going to pay for this. I'm going to make this work. And I mean, we didn't have any tour support. We didn't have any label. We had nothing, Um, you know, and we basically lived at the practice space, uh, writing and recording and just getting it all together. And finally, Dave just was like, you know, this is too good not to let it happen. And he, he sent us into the studio without a record label. Dave, you bankrolled this. I I didn't know this part of the story. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was our savior lo- more than once. Yeah. But uh, what a strong statement, though. I mean, I yeah, he was your manager, but he believed strongly enough in you and the songs that he, he made that investment. Yeah. When you yeah. guys needed it the most. That's pretty awesome. So we we brought on uh, John and Yellow again and uh, we started in New Jersey at Water Music. Uh, we did all the basic tracks there, um, took it to Chicago to Soundworks, um, finished it up. And uh, and then, honestly, Dave, I don't remember how the whole John Such Deep Elm thing happened. How did that all come um, out? He just flipped out. He's like, this is the best record I've ever heard. And we cut this deal with him where he got to sell 3000 and he was going to get a bunch overseas because we really felt if we could get out of the country, too. You know, a, a lot of a lot of people, if you can get out of the country, it's a good idea because, you know, it's hard to make a splash in a lake. You know, you have to be a big rock in the lake to make a splash where you can be a little pebble in a pond to make a splash in somewhere like England or something where, you know, there a lot of, you know, I just, we, we just felt that would work. And we played a couple shows over there. We played the IMLMC and stuff. And um we so we we got it out we got it out through europe but also uh you know john just was a guy working out of his house who was just possessed and he just went at it really hard now i thought i think he did a really good job for what it was but we weren't able to take it to the next level and I, and from my point of view it's just there were things starting to happen that happen in bands you know triple fast action had started at the end of 92 and by, I'd say, what, 98, Brian, I think, there were, you know, people who were uh, getting married. Uh, there were a few kids happening, you know, things like that. And people really starting to say, you know, I really, it's going to be really hard for me to take a week off to, you know, go do those dates in California and that type of thing. And that just kind of crept in because that happens in life, you know. And the results, the album we're talking about tonight, uh, Cattlemen Don't which I have here. Uh, yeah, great I, record. I, this is the one that I, I think the whole family can agree on. Everyone loves this album. And it really, when you realize this was independently released, bankrolled by Dave, um, you realize what an accomplishment it is. Without uh, the big muscle or machinery of a major label, something this pure, uh, sorry, uh, wonderful could come from it. 
I love the fact that this is being reissued, but let's let's stay on Cattleman Down for a couple more, the original version uh, for a little while longer. What were your expectations? You had this finished CD. You'd been through the capital machine for good and ill. What do you think was going to happen? Did you think well, th- this was going to turn the, turn the boat around? Did you think this will keep us afloat? From, from a band aspect, we got to tour. We got to do what we love to do. We got to go out and play in front of people every single night, um, you know, five, six nights a week. And uh, that was, none of us really expected to have a second chance of being a star per se. Not that that was initially our, our reasoning for doing this in the first place, but I think we were all realistic that we, we could have been um, a, one of the bigger underground bands. You know, we were never going to be big rock stars um, and we were fine with that. And um, so, I mean, you know, we're, we're out on tour with bands like Smoking Popes. We did a really great tour the winter dance cool. party with the, with the popes and menthol and um local uh, h local h yep and veruca salt we we did those tours as well um you know we had a lot of friends and a lot of people liked our band in chicago and they were becoming a little more successful say than us so they would be bringing us out all the time um i wouldn't say it was favors because they were calling us and we were just all friends you know right. Um, so the, everybody was helping us out left and right. And it, it felt really good. Um, it was a great, great time in music and, um, and in the bands, just, just how everybody helped each other out back then. Was it, there was cool. that community. Oh yeah. Sense. Let's talk about some of the songs. Uh, the first real full song on the album, uh, starts with you, Brian, pure. Mm-hmm. I, and that's, that's just, what a great intro not counting Ronnie's thing. Uh, what a great intro to the album. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, that actually Wes came up with that idea and what, see Wes was a multi instrumentalist. He, he started out as a drummer, turned into a, a guitar player, vocalist, singer, songwriter. Um, he, a lot of times he would bring songs to us and he would have a vision, not complete necessarily, but um like things like that, that opening of pure, he, he knew exactly what he wanted. And he, he told me just bam, 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 and just, we went with it. So we have Wes to thank for that one. There are some obvious rockers, some triple fast action rockers on the album, uh, duck and run. I'm sure I know I played it on my local show back in the day in hindsight. I'm not sure I played an edit of it, but I would had to have, played an edit of that otherwise i would have lost my job um love that song uh also i mean heroes this was this to me was an obvious single this was a song this one absolutely what was the showstopper on the album do you have the same sense or are you thinking something else for like the emblematic heroes is the song um in fact i think what was it uh I remember that we did some cage match with you guys yeah, and it just kept going and going and going. And I think you guys stopped the cage match at some point because we weren't losing. I, that, that, could, that, could, that couldn't have been the reason. 
Well, it just, it stopped. It seemed to have just stopped one day. There was a period of time when shows would get canceled and things would change overnight. Uh, my local show got canceled twice in like five years during that <laughs> same frame of time. Uh, but yeah, no, it, I love that. That was legit. Like people would call in. That was, you know, old school radio. It's cage match, this band against this band. And people from Chicago turned out for triple fast every night. Uh, but the song was, was worthy. I mean, it wasn't just Homerism. The song warranted that kind of enthusiastic support. Um, other songs in the album I love. Hey, there are a couple of, of slow burners on Cattlemen Don't. Uh, if, 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 if. That, that's a great slow burner on the album. It just explodes yeah. a, a couple minutes in. Um, the Rescue is another great slow burner on that album, too. Yeah, The, the Rescue, um, I, I never really expected anybody to like that song personally. Um, I, I just thought it was one of the weirder songs on the record. It's about superheroes. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> the whole album seems to be about. Huh? Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. So I remember the years and memories fade through the years, guys. But I remember Triple Fast did their last show at Metro. And I want to say Wes called in. I was doing nights at the radio station. And I want to say Wes called in the night of the last show. And it was just hmm. that was it. It was over. Yeah, I don't done. remember him calling. I don't remember any of that stuff. Um, you know, it, it was uh, the last show. Um, I was moving to New York. And at the time, you know, I mean, it, at the time, we never really discussed figuring out a way for me to continue with the band. It was just kind of like, okay, Brian's moving, it's over. And, you know, looking back on it, I was talking to Kevin about this the other day, actually. Um, and we both were like, yeah, why didn't we try to keep it going? And it just, it never dawned on us that it was even possible, you know? Um, you know, in, when the, I, in the modern day with the modern filter, it seems crazy. Of course you can make that work. Yeah. Yeah. But back then it was just kind of like, well, you know, we were, we were constantly rehearsing, we were constantly writing and we were constantly touring. So for me to move that far away, it just didn't seem like it would work. Right. So there you go. So, I mean, the reissue of Cattlemen Don't doesn't come on an anniversary year. Mm -hmm. It's just 23 just, years later. Yeah, exactly. The, the, everyone celebrates the 23rd anniversary. What brought this about? Because this this came out of left field. Actually, no, it didn't come out of left field because you've been seeding this for the past couple months on social media. Yeah, there but even, even before that, um, you know, I left. I, I was in local H for a while for like. Uh, 13, 14 years as the drummer. And um, I left the band. By the way, if you're not Scott Lucas, you're the drummer. Yes, <laughs> yes. So I left the band and I think it would probably, it got to a point where I just needed to do something again. I wanted to have this purpose in music. And so I started talking to the guys about it and they were like, okay, yeah, that sounds interesting. You know, it uh, sounds like a good idea. And so I, kept thinking about it. And I was just like, how are we going to do this? We don't have any money. We don't want to spend our own money to do this because we didn't, it, it was going to cost some money to actually put this project together. Sure. Um, people had talked to me about doing the, uh, the um, what's, what's the, uh, the site where people buy into it. Oh, like a, like a, um, a Patreon or a Kickstarter or a Kickstarter thing. 
And then I started hearing from other people, don't do Kickstarter because it's a nightmare. It takes, it's, it's so time consuming. And I didn't have that, you know, I have a job and everything. So then I talked to Dave and in comes Dave again with this box of material. And I, it was like stuff I didn't even remember recording. None of us remembered any of the songs. And it was just like this huge lump of material, dat tapes, like cassette tapes, just all this stuff. And it was like 10 more records worth of material. It was ridiculous. The Vault. Yes. Wes was so it, prolific. And the band was constantly recording. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but the no, band was just okay. constantly you know, churning out music and it's like whoa it was just like this it just it was uh you know he, he he was on a tear as a writer and and he really you know and he was really good and he really just knocked out a lot of stuff quickly and and you guys had like a little recording device or something i think at the rehearsal place too right track mackie board and uh, yeah right scene track reel to reel so so funny that you have all this stuff on dat are you able to salvage the stuff on dat i have so much yeah. stuff archived on dat first of all of the people who have dat players very few of them still actually work right yeah i had to i had to send stuff to jay o'rourke in chicago and he went through it all he had to go he went through like three or four dat players before he could get the dats to work exactly because he didn't own one anymore but he knew people that had them and so he transferred some stuff that I didn't know what it was. And it just sounded so great. And uh, from there, um, I started getting more into this idea of releasing something uh, with re-releasing Cattleman Don't. We, the, the 20 year anniversary passed and it was just kind of like, okay, this is starting to get stupid. We have to do something now or not at all. By the and way, and Andrew on Facebook Live as we're doing this, uh, brought up a good point. The 23rd anniversary. It's the Michael Jordan anniversary. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's about as Chicago as it gets. Yeah. So, so I posted something on social media, just saying who would be, who would be down for buying a cattleman don't vinyl. And like all these people responded to me, I was getting messages left and right. And out of the blue, some guy named Justin Wexler, who owns his own record label in Chicago uh, forge again records he was like, I, I want to do this. I, I want to do it with you guys. And so we jumped on it. And he's a great guy. He does a lot of Chicago music. Um, he uses a lot of Chicago area businesses like Smash Plastic for the yeah. press. Oh, they're, they're amazing. Yeah. Um, Carl Saf, uh, engine, uh, he's a, a, a mastering engineer in Chicago. He remastered some stuff that weren't that we had never mastered before for vinyl. Um, so it, it turned into this reality at that point. It was like, okay, we've got a guy back in this thing. Um, David given us all this material. So let's, let's make this a really big project. And not only is it the album, but then we've got nine bonus tracks. So three, which people might've heard, uh, they were like the outtakes from Cattleman Don't. Um, Deep Elm used a couple of them for some compilations, but then side four is just all material. Nobody's ever heard. That's so cool. And, and I think if we're to, to have one takeaway from this, Dave is the band's guardian angel. Yes. Dave. Showing up with the, with the treasure trove of outtakes and masters and rarities. 
There's more. There is. <laughs> I've got all the photo shoots too, Brian. Oh no. On those. <laughs> I know. <laughs> which, which photo shoots? <laughs> the ones you don't want out. <laughs> so so Brian, you better be going, nice to me. <laughs> as you're going through the stuff, going through the old music stuff you haven't listened to for a while, were you emotional? Um, not that emotional. No, I don't get emotional anymore. Unfortunately, I just don't. What about the other guys in the band? I mean, what was their reaction to doing? It? I mean, Kevin, you, you, you're all in on this and that's, that's yeah. clear. But what, what about the other three guys? Yeah. Kevin, Kevin was all over it. Kevin was like, from the get go, we got to do this. We, we have to go record more material. You know, I mean, we had all this stuff, but he still wanted to record more. Um, and, you know, Wes, he was just like, listen, if you guys think this sounds good, you, you, if, if you think Justin is a viable source of getting this record out, let's do it. You know, he kind of, Wes, Wes is busy. You know, he's got his family. He's a manager now for other bands. Um, and he just didn't have the time like I had to put into this. Because, you know, when I'm not on the road, I'm at home. I, I, right. I needed to find something to do. And that this was my thing. You know, when I was at home, not on the road, I would kind of work on this. So I was kind of the, the businessman behind this whole thing, I guess. Um, trying to make sure that we chose the right songs. I would run everything by Wes and Kevin all, already, you know, about every move I made. And then I think at some point they were just kind of like, just do it. Just stop bothering us and just do it. So there you go. So it, it is tantalizing that you said Kevin wanted to record more music. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin still writes and records all the time. Well, I know, but he doesn't do it with you. No, no, but he, he wants to. I find that very tantalizing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do I. I bet. <laughs> I bet. So Kevin's I, awesome. Oh, he's he's a mega talented dude. Kevin made such a great record, and guess what? The release date was September twelfth, two thousand one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we sold nine records that week. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bad week. I lived in New York. That was really bad. No doubt about it. But uh, right. I, Brian, I really think I think that first demo needs to come out again. That it thing is great. And this is it right here, Dave. I know. Well, right before, you, before you get to that, do you guys does Capital still own Broadcaster? They don't know that they do. So my feeling is ask for forgiveness. Perfect. That's my Perfect. advice. I think somewhere over and, there. Else. And you know what? If they came after the band, it would be the best press release that could, they could get. How about it? How right? about it? <laughs> somewhere over there, I have the uh, seven inch of Aerosmith sitting in a stack. I, I couldn't pull it out in time tonight. But And I, Ronnie's I, pants. And Ronnie's pants. Exactly. Ronnie's pants. All right. So, Kettleman, don't they? I, I hope we've made the point. It's such a great album. Uh, Re-released on vinyl, reissued on vinyl. Uh, that happens early next year. Are you already sold out? Do you still have copies of this? There, there are still copies. Um, they sold really well the first 24 hours. I mean, it was crazy. I, I never imagined we'd be selling that many copies right away. I, uh, I forked over my 25 bucks. Oh, did you? Good. Oh, yeah. what, did you get the pink or the yellow? I, I got the pink, bro. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And I got in early. So, and also with your copy, then you're getting a, a bonus flexi disc. 
That's so cool. That that's the only place you can get that song. It's not going to be available digital or anywhere else. I haven't seen a flexi disc since maybe when I was 10 years old and you'd see them in like mad yeah. magazine. Exactly. You have to cut them out. So, and get this. I've, I've got this storage space that I really need to take like six months and just get rid of all of it. But Brian, I found a box of rights of the EQ stuff. A lot of which I wish I hadn't found, but some of it is there was a magazine called reflex, reflex. magazine that yeah. rich Shoup was the, editor for and reflex put out the very first rights of the cues release and Soundgarden release on a flexi disc in the magazine so it's Soundgarden on one side and i think it's earache my eye the song by uh cheech and chong yeah and and it's rights of the cues on the other side and And i found like just the flexi parts but like a hundred of them and the rights of the cues song we did was christmas with the devil oh my god spinal tap (laughs) yeah that is that's that's a great collectible to unearth yeah yeah i know well i've got a hundred i i figured i don't know what to do do i go on ebay and put out one a week so i don't over flood the market or what i I don't know or you you sell you sell them to herb and he sells them at the bar there we go (laughs) yeah herb herb can do it too that's awesome idea herb is a man up Herb is a man made of 10% flesh, 10% bone, and 80% charisma. <laughs> yeah. I love, love Herb. Herb. We, we all love Herb. All right. So to get, well, first of all, we can listen on Bandcamp to Kettleman Dunn. For people who uh, maybe a generation later who weren't there for the first run of Triple Fast Action, they can hear what we're talking about. It's on yep. Bandcamp. Um, is it through the labels Bandcamp page? It is, but you just go to Bandcamp and you can type in triple fast action and it'll pop up. It's the only release on there. Such a great album. And you can order the vinyl, uh, which, you know, it's funny. I've said this on the show before, but I went through a period where I had thousands of records. And toward the end of the 90s, I'm sure you can appreciate, Brian, Dave, I started having more CDs come into my life than I knew what to do with. I thought, well, this is clearly the future. No one's making records anymore. I donated all my records. Oh, no. It's true. It was for a good cause, so I don't regret it that much. But for the past you know, 10 years, I've been trying to recreate my record collection. I'm, I'm enjoying amassing vinyl. And the idea that I can have this album that up until now I've only had on CD is thrilling to me. I'm really excited to put that That's one on. Awesome. Yeah, there, there's something that feels really substantive about pulling the record out, putting it on, dropping the needle and sitting back. I love that. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's the best. It is. The record's on Spotify, too. Oh, right on. So it's, it's wherever people are. Cattlemen don't. Dave Fry, Brian St. Clair, uh, the legacy of Triple Fast Action gets gets a gets some new life, gets an adrenaline shot yeah. this next year. And it, it is more than welcome. I, I love the band, always have. And uh, it's a real thrill to be able to get this on vinyl. Yeah, you've always been a big supporter, and we we always thank you for that. Love you guys. All right, I'm going to stop the Facebook Live. Thank you, everybody, for Keep watching. Keep up the good work. <laughs> I'm going to eat more of my pork, courtesy of Happy to Meet You, happytomeetyou.com. Hey, that's, that's what you do. All right, thanks, everybody.